BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Alexis Madrigal. Next month will mark one year since the public release of ChatGPT, the AI-enabled chatbot. The technology immediately sent shockwaves across college campuses. Could it revolutionize higher education or simply lead to widespread cheating and plagiarism? We'll look at how chatbots and AI are impacting higher ed from college essays to classroom teaching. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. The school year is well underway at Bay Area colleges and universities. And while some things like homecoming and cramming for midterms never changes, campuses are grappling with something very new, ChatGPT. When it came out last November, the new AI-enabled chatbot raised some alarming questions like, will everyone just cheat? Will students learn anything? In this hour, we're going to look at how artificial intelligence and chatbots are influencing higher ed. And we're joined by Beth McMurdy, senior writer, The Chronicle of Higher Education, Chessa Caparos, she's a professor of English at the De Anza College, and Janae Cohn, she's executive director at UC Berkeley Center for Teaching and Learning. Welcome to all of you. Beth, can you just kind of lay the, the land here for those who might not be familiar with what is ChatGPT? Sure. Um, ChatGPT is basically a chatbot that uses a form of generative artificial intelligence. And this generative AI was trained on reams of digital text that were produced by humans. So essentially, it scraped the internet uh, to figure out how do humans write? How do humans code? How do they do other things? And then it uses that information and this algorithm that enables it to produce human-like content. So if you've used it, you know that all you have to do is type in a prompt, and in a matter of seconds, it can do a whole range of things. It can write an essay. 
It could drop a legal contract. It can create a workout routine. Uh, it can be a, your personal tutor. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. But one of the ways in which I think um, I've seen people describe it that I think is particularly helpful is that it's effectively a word predictor. And I think that's important to, to, to think about because it is not a search engine, right? It is not um, fact-based. It is essentially creating output based on what humans have created in the past. And that's why it's so amazing and also so potentially dangerous because it can do all sorts of creative things, but it, it also can sort of make things up. I, in, in journalism, it's a little bit scary for the future of my career, because like you said, it can write an essay, it can write an article. Apparently in the future, it might even be able to stand in for me uh, on a show like this uh, with voice. So it ha- the future is unknown of how it's going to affect you know, my own my own career, which is pretty scary. Beth, you, the Chronicle did a survey of administrators, uh, I think this past summer, about, you know, how academic leaders are thinking about this, and whether or not they think it's going to be positive or negative. What was the verdict from the survey? Well, it, w- it was mixed. And I think that really reflects the uncertainty that we all feel around generative AI and the ambiguity and sort of the unknowns of the future, right? We d- It's evolving constantly, and we don't know where it's headed. So, uh, we heard from about 400 uh, administrators in in higher education. We asked them, um, is it more of an opportunity or a threat? And they came out more on the side of opportunity. About 77% said that. And 57% said they saw it as a threat. So already you can see some people said answered both. And then when it came to the question of where in higher education do you see generative AI having the most impact, teaching far and above all other facets of college life, you know, was out in front, um, say compared to research or operations. And again, even there, people were evenly divided as to whether it would have a positive or a negative impact. On the one hand, some people felt like, well, you know, this could help personalize a student's education. It could function as a tutor. It could be an interactive experience. Um, It could help students with career prep because we know now that AI is kind of everywhere in industry as well. But then, of course, the negatives are, you know, I mentioned the disinformation problem. Um, Obviously, there's this great fear that students might cheat with it. And so they graduate with a weaker set of skills um, than before generative AI existed. Um, And I will say that about 84% of the people said their college is concerned about cheating. And interestingly, 98% said that generative AI was going to require instructors to rethink how they assess students. at the same time, uh, granted, this study was done in the summer, so things have probably evolved. There wasn't a lot of action. You know, only 28% said they had taken any steps around the use of generative AI by students. Um, and only 32% at that point had even created an academic integrity policy on the proper use of generative AI. So it's we're still in a wait and see mode, I think. And a wait and see mode that's moving quite quickly, because you just pointed out this was in the summer, and you're saying things have probably changed dramatically since then, and it's only October. So how fast is this moving on college campuses? How fast are these conversations moving? It's really hard to know. I'm starting to see a few institutions come out with um, broader um, uh, committee reports on ways in which they are encouraging professors to learn about generative AI so they understand how it functions. They also understand the ethical implications, uh, the technical dimensions to it, how they can use it in teaching and learning. And they're also offering, I think, some of this training to students 
there are conversations too around um, what does it mean to be sort of a digitally literate college graduate, an AI literate college graduate. And I think those are deeper conversations, right? Because what set of skills do you need to graduate with to understand these tools, use them properly, use them ethically, understand where there might be bias. Um, but it's it's a real challenge because when you think about higher education, there are so many different kinds of institutions, each with its own um, structure and makeup from community colleges all the way to research institutions. And uh, every individual professor might land somewhere differently on how they want to use AI in their classroom. So it's it's a bit like herding cats. Janae, what are you hearing from the faculty that you're working with, the center that you, that you work for advises faculty on their teaching methods and, and how to use this technology? So what, what are you hearing from faculty? So I think Beth really characterized well precisely what we're hearing from faculty, too. I would say perspectives really run the spectrum from feeling extremely anxious and concerned about the impacts of ChatGPT on not just academic integrity, but students' critical thinking skills, their capacities to write and be effective communicators in their disciplines. But we're also hearing from faculty who are really curious and interested in understanding what ChatGPT is capable of in their fields. Um, we see faculty from across disciplines, I think, examining really critically what the availability of a tool like ChatGPT is going to do to their own disciplinary and research practice. And many of them are very eager to engage in that conversation with their students. We also see faculty, I'd say somewhere in the middle, who are critical of ChatGPT and AI and who want to inspire their students to be critical as well. So I'd say a common assignment we've been seeing kind of crop up in different disciplines is one where faculty will ask their students to um, ask ChatGPT to output some piece of knowledge. And then they will ask the students to critique what that output looks like, right? So a lot of faculty will engage in conversation with students about what they noticed about the output of ChatGPT. What did ChatGPT produce really successfully when responding to a particular prompt? And what did ChatGPT not do quite so well in response to that particular prompt? So it's been really interesting to see this range of responses because as, as Beth noted as well, each professor is gonna land on this issue really differently. And in higher education, we really strive towards um, making sure that faculty have autonomy in their classrooms, that they get to decide how their students are going to learn and help them prioritize what they learn best. So in the Teaching and Learning Center, we really try to navigate those conversations respecting what each faculty member wants to do with their students in their class, um, while also helping them understand that really extensive landscape of opportunities and threats for using this tool. Well, Chessa, you're in the classroom. How are you incorporating the technology or are you with your students? I am incorporating it at different levels, um, but I always give students the option to not use it because I do realize that some of the concerns that people have around privacy um, and, you know, uh, what's going to be done with their work, I think those are valid. So I always make sure that students have the option to, well, opt out, which, you know, is the option to opt out is decreasing in the digital age. Um, but I do want students to think critically with it, but not just about the output of the models. I want them to think critically about why they chose certain questions, like why did a certain prompt work or not work? Because I feel like that is the critical thinking skill that they're going to need is like, how do we ask better questions? So as an educator, what I'm seeing is not that, you know, students need to 
necessarily summarize material so that I can make sure they comprehended it. But I, I think that the skills that they're going to need are like learning how to ask better questions, learning how to critique the output of something like ChatGPT. And I, I really want them to lean into the things that um, they're curious about, because I feel like one of the biggest um, detriments uh, to education and to learning with these new tools is that students um, kind of don't trust themselves anymore. Um, whenever they get a question, they're like, ooh, let me ask, you know, let me ask Google, let me ask ChatGPT. And so there's, it, you know, I, I notice that they kind of tend to not trust their own instincts around, um, you know, maybe the first thing that they're thinking. So I really want them to um, ask themselves, what are they curious about? And then they start to trust their own questions, because I feel like that is the most negative impact that I've seen with these new tools is that the it's eroded trust, um, not just among students, but between teachers and students and trust in education in general. Before we go to the break, are you worried about cheating? Is that is that on your radar at all? Um, I don't frame it as cheating, because I think that... Um, you know, if we're trying to, what exactly are we trying to measure with our assignments? If we're trying to measure learning and intelligence, intelligence is about adapting and using tools to um, answer questions better or to solve problems better. And on some level, you know, using a tool like ChatGPT to answer questions is a form of intelligence because they're, you know, problem solving in new ways. So I'm trying to reframe what I think cheating is. I do teach citation practices. I do think that that's important to credit your sources. But um I, again, I am not as concerned with the question of cheating as I am with um, how exactly are we measuring learning. And crediting your sources would yes. be crediting chat GPT. Chat GPT. Wow, yes. who, who could have imagined? Yeah. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about chatbots and artificial yeah. intelligence and, and how they're impacting higher education. And we're talking with Beth, Beth McMurdy. She's senior writer, The Chronicle of Higher Education. Chessa Caparos, Caparos, professor of English at De Anza College. And Janae Cohn, executive director at the UC Berkeley Center of Teaching and Learning. And we want to hear from you, from listeners. Are you a college student? How are you using ChatGPT or other chatbots? Maybe you're a teacher or a professor. How are you incorporating or maybe preventing the use of chatbots like ChatGPT in your classes? And, and what do you think about using ChatGPT and other AI technologies, you know, for academic essays or for other assignments? We want to hear your thoughts. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can email your comments or your questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. And we're talking about how chatbots like ChatGBT and artificial intelligence are impacting higher education, colleges and universities. And we're joined by Beth McMurdy. She's senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education. Chessa Caparos. She's professor of English at De Anza College. And Janae Cohn. She's executive at, excuse me, executive director at the UC Berkeley Center for Teaching and Learning. And we're joined now by Andrew Yu. He's a senior at UC Davis. He's an English major. So welcome, uh, Andrew. I want to hear, how are you using it in the classroom? Are you using ChatGPT to, to kind of do your schoolwork these days? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, to answer your question, uh, I've previously used ChatGPT for um, one of my English classes um, for a final paper. I haven't been using it recently, but my first time using it, um, I used ChatGBT to help me outline for a memo because as part of my final, I didn't know how to write a memo. I had never seen or even um, read a memo before. So it was kind of like my first time playing with um, ChatGBT and really seeing like what the AI software was really like. And I actually found it really helpful. It was convenient and I think more importantly, it was really accessible for me in the process of writing and really thinking about how to format um, a memo into my essay. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. How would you say or, you know, what's the vibe basically at school amongst your professors? How, how do you feel like your professors are talking about it or, you know, embracing it or saying, you know, don't, don't you dare use this? Oh, yeah, Definitely. From what I've heard, my professors are really against AI and chatbots. They're, they have a zero tolerance policy about it. They definitely don't even recommend it. If they even uh, get a hint of like some AI plagiarism, they're definitely going to put their foot down and like, you know, report you to like judicial affairs and really, you know, do a whole investigation about it. Um, from what I on top of that, I don't really think they would really recommend even looking to the software or anything as a resource, but I think that is the opposite from what I've seen from my peers on what they think about AI and like how what do they, they think? use it. What, what, what do they think? What are you hearing from peers? From my peers, from what I've heard from them when we talk about like using like ChatGPT to help us do our assignments, they have found the same opinions as me, like it's very helpful, it's accessible. And sometimes like, you know, as students, like we don't have a lot of experience when it comes to doing like certain tasks. Like for example, one of my friends used ChatGBT to help her outline an email for asking for a letter of rec for law school. Mm-hmm. And that was something that she had never done before. And, um, you know, the whole process with letters of rec, it can be very like intimidating and very nerve wracking. So, you know, one day I just asked her, I was like, why don't you just ask ChatGBT how we would format a letter of rec for a professor? And then she was like, oh, you're totally right, Andrew. Like, that can totally be helpful. And it doesn't just have to be with academics. You can totally use ChatGBT to help you um, format or simplify some tasks outside of class. Well, let's bring a caller into the conversation. Uh, Jenneth, you're on the air in San Ramon. Hi, uh, I teach at St. Mary's College. I'm an assistant professor in the writing studies program. 
year 30 teaching uh, first-year students or high school seniors. And I'm evolving my opinion about ChatGPT. I was dead set against it this summer in all of our workshops. I argued against it, I think, pretty convincingly that my job as a teacher was to create my students' voices and to make sure they were heard. And I do sales pitches to my kids. Why would you let a bot speak for you? Why would you let somebody else compile your research for you and arrange it in a way that might not be the most effective? And then my 28-year-old daughter decided to help me do a marketing plan for my new book. And in about 15 seconds, after asking one question to ChatGPT, it generated a three, a four, and a six-month marketing schedule that was brilliant. And I knew nothing about this. And then I realized as a professor, I need to learn more about ChatGPT. It must have some use. I can see it in different curricular areas, but still, I'm going to teach my students how to use their voices and how to do original research, how to ask the questions, and to be very critical about their sources' accuracy, because I think that's my job as a professor. Sounds like the light bulb went off. I, I know I've had that experience using it myself uh, in, in my own work. I was like, oh, wow, this this is really quite profound. Matt writes, as a professor myself, I can con- confirm that AI like ChatGPT has become a huge issue. We use AI detection tools here and get papers flagged all the time. Our surveys have shown over half of our students use it. I was recently on a disciplinary board where we expelled a student for using ChatGPT to produce most of their work. The main issue I have, other than the plagiarism aspect, is that it often generates inaccurate information. To try to illustrate this with students, I have used it in the classroom to show students how it misunderstands concepts. Uh, Beth, can you reflect there, as, as you were reporting on this, you know, plagiarism, cheating, how are professors responding, you know, and and using these, maybe start with these detection tools, since we haven't really talked about that yet, maybe start with the detection tools, and then then how or if professors are embracing these detection tools. Sure. Um, Yeah, there are a number of detection tools out there that um, say that they can, I, I think that the way they phrase it is estimate with relative certainty, whether or not certain writing was produced by generative AI. So it's kind of like, it's sort of like a range of certainty that these tools use. And in that sense, it's quite different than say traditional plagiarism detectors that can map say a student essay back to an original source and say, you lifted this paragraph, right? From this chapter in this book. And I think that is what makes Um, a lot of professors nervous and uncertain about whether or how to use these detection tools. Um, In fact, there was one case where, and I'm sure there are more universities in this, but Vanderbilt University actually made the decision to turn off the AI detection function um, that would that Turnitin built into their plagiarism detection program. And Turnitin is a big company that a lot of colleges use, and a lot of professors will feed student essays through Turnitin to determine if it has done if they've done traditional plagiarism. And then they added the AI tool onto it. Vanderbilt said, "Nope, we don't really understand how these tools work. We don't think they're accurate. We don't want false positives." And I know on an individual level, what I've been hearing from professors is it gets very tricky because last semester, for example, um, it came kind of midstream. So professors were able to see 
oh, you know, they wrote, the student wrote one way in January and they're turning something else with a different voice in April. I'm pretty sure they used a tool there and they might run, uh, they, they use generative AI and they might run through a tool and it might flag it. But even then, if a student denied it or uh, or sort of fought back, they weren't sure how to proceed because they couldn't necessarily prove that the student used um, AI. Some professors do go ahead and say, I'm pretty sure you did, and I'm going to give you a zero. I'm going to make you do it again. Maybe they sent it all the way up to the Academic Integrity Board. But you can see how fraught this is, right, when, you, when, when it's unlike traditional plagiarism because it is generating new text every time you put it in, put a prompt in. Let's go to a call, uh, Dan, in South San Francisco. You're on the air. Dan? Hey, great show this morning. Really appreciate the topic. I just wanted to bring to light um, the fact that the criteria with which we're measuring outcomes is completely lost. So I use ChatBGT all the time. I'm a professor, and it's a great tool. But when we're giving students assessments, uh, we're giving them grades. And so whether or not we are describing this as plagiarism or not becomes moot because we're just giving people grades which are a measure of persistence and ability to pay. So I use psychometrics, which are tools that are used to hire people you know, through HR or uh, used by psychologists for well-being. And this gives them an indication as to how competent they are as opposed to when uh, they were actually plagiarizing at a very individual level. Hmm. Chessa, what do you think? You're, you're in the classroom. Do you see this as, as plagiarism or cheating? Um, well, I think that it's hard to define right now because a lot of people don't have like criteria or policies around the usage of AI, which makes it then hard to tell a student, yes, you violated this or that. Um, I Again, like I don't necessarily think it's cheating because I think what's kind of What's wrong here is that, um, as the caller just mentioned, that our ways of assessing student learning are also like complicated and and maybe um, need to adapt to the new technological landscape. So, um, you know, I I don't use AI detectors. I think that the false positives and and just the it, it promotes that culture of distrust. And I've actually had a lot of students um, in my courses. I um, I ask students, how do you feel about using AI tools like ChatGPT? And they're like, well, it's okay if I use it um, just to like get some help. And then my second question is, how do you feel if an instructor uses it to grade your work? And they say, oh, I um I wouldn't feel comfortable with that because I want a human to do it. And so we actually discuss like, okay, why is there that discrepancy? Like, why why is it that you're okay using it but you don't trust it to grade your own work? Um, and I think it, it boils down to like, they again, they really don't trust themselves. And with things like AI detectors and false positives, it promotes that feeling that they don't trust themselves. And also it creates a lot of anxiety for them because then they're worried that they're going to get caught you know, or even like in, incorrectly accused of using it. Um, so I, again, I think it just creates more stress around writing, which as a writing teacher, I'm not trying to do that. Absolutely. Rogue on Discord, Discord writes, well, I recognize the advantages of AI tools in higher education, particularly in streamlining basic tasks as proofreading. My main concern is about the development of logical thinking through writing. Writing is a great way to critically examine the flow of their own thoughts and ideas and how they often craft them into persuasive arguments. By relying on tools like ChatGPT and the cut and paste method, university students may risk reducing, if not losing, this basic skill. 
Janae, what do you think about that thought about that we're just really going to lose the ability uh, to think critically because of chat GPT and tools like it? That's a great question and a really valid concern. So I would probably encourage faculty in this case to sort of take a step back and do what this um, writer on Discord just did, right? Which is sort of start to explain what is the value of writing as a way of thinking? What ChatGPT privileges is writing as a product, writing as a means to an end, not necessarily writing as a process or writing as a way of thinking. And so I think that when it comes down to it, when you're crafting an assignment or you're thinking about assessment, it's worth being really explicit with students about why you might need them to write without assistance in some cases, and why writing with assistance in other cases may be okay. So you know, my background's in writing instruction as well, so this is also a near and dear topic to me. I taught first-year composition for a long time. And part of the practice we do in first-year composition classes is really emphasize frequent drafts, frequent revisions, different kinds of brainstorming ways of examining an idea. And writing is one way to do that. And so part of it, I think, is also making the stakes low enough in a class context to say, hey, it's okay to experiment with writing from your own voice right now. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct. It doesn't even have to be in English if English is not your first language. Just start to use writing as a way to externalize your internal thoughts about a topic. And then when you're ready to move to product, when you want to think about creating a particular genre, like when Andrew was describing having to do a memo for the first time, it's really normal to want to have examples of that, to then model and be able to adapt for your own purposes. But I can imagine that, again, most students, I think, recognize that they do need to engage with some process and some independent thinking to create that valuable product. Um, so I think that part of what we can do to mitigate the impact of eroding concerns with critical thinking is just reminding students, reminding ourselves even, why writing as a way of thinking is valuable. Let's go to another caller. Uh, Owen, you're on the air in Sacramento. Hi. Yeah, this is Owen from Sacramento. I'm calling as chair for the Student Run Business Association and founder for ModLearn, a company that helps students learn in the flow of work. Um, something that I ran into earlier is a passion for John Piaget and his genetic epistemology, just looking at the idea that we learn in order to create results. Um, so I became focused, and as AI has developed, became really focused on the idea that students can learn in order to get something done, so incorporating project-based learning, work-based learning, learning where we are driving towards results. I think that that's becoming even more important now. I know that GPT is in kind of a, a middle ground where it's still not factually correct, it's not connected to the internet, but increasingly those problems are going to be solved. And I feel like that's pushing us towards uh, measuring the results of what students are getting towards with their writing rather than just the act of the writing itself, as an example. You could say the same for code and many other things. Um, I wonder how that message resonates or what other approaches people are using to think maybe ahead five or 10 years. How do we change what we're trying to assess and change the learning um, that we're measuring? Beth, thoughts there? Um, I have a lot of thoughts. I mean, I think what we're really talking about is how to create an engaging and an immersive learning experience so that students actually want to take charge of their own learning, right? 
And then when we map that back against the typical college experience, a lot of students probably would tell you, I get that sometimes, but sometimes I don't. So we can sort of picture, uh, you know, the large 200 person or 200 or more person lecture hall. It's an introductory class. It's part of your general education requirement. You're not really sure why you're supposed to be there. The quizzes are multiple choice. There are short discussion board posts. You know, it's very um, unengaging for the students. And I think those are the areas where probably most teaching experts would feel that cheating through chat GPT is likely to occur because students just don't feel connected to what they're told that they need to learn in this class. And the whole idea of an authentic assessment, you know, is that really a multiple choice quiz? Is that really a two paragraph uh, you know, kind of a regurgitation of what you just read in your in your textbook. Probably not. So what the caller was saying, what Janae was saying, and the others are, if you as the professor can, for one, motivate your student by saying, I care about what you think. I want to hear your take on this. And I want to see and watch you grow through this more iterative process, you know, week after week. Maybe you're building up to a term paper. Maybe you're doing a multimedia presentation and we're going to talk and we're going to talk again rather than, you know, in October, you've got this 10-page paper due. Come to me if you have any questions. I think those are the scenarios where you're much less likely to see students wanting to kind of short circuit the process and outsource their thinking to ChatGPT. It's really shaking it all up. Katie writes, I've been polling many of my friends and acquaintances who teach at community colleges and universities, and everyone has a different answer. My UC professor friend says that she has just stopped giving essay assignments and asks them to write most everything in class. My acquaintance at the university in Canada told me the institution has decided they just can't regulate it at all, and so they don't. There are no penalties. It seems that it is now up to every professor to decide for themselves. We are talking about how chatbots and artificial intelligence are impacting higher education. We're talking with Beth McMurdy, senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education, Chessa Caparos, professor of English at De Anza College, Janae Cohn, executive director at UC Berkeley Center for Teaching and Learning. And we want to hear from you. Are you a college student? How are you using ChatGPT and other chatbots? Are you a teacher or a professor? How are you incorporating or maybe preventing the use of these tools in your class? And then for the general public, what do you think about using ChatGPT and other AI? You know, for academic essays, for assignments, are you worried about it for the future for your kids if you have little kids? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments or your questions to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal, and we're talking about how chatbots like ChatGPT are influencing higher education and sort of penetrating into college campuses and universities. And we're joined now by Jennifer Tran. She's a sophomore at UC Berkeley. Uh, She's an education and political science major, a student representative, and she's on the Committee on Teaching, and she's on the Academic Senate, so playing many different roles. Jennifer, are you using ChatGPT in, in your classes and what do you think excuse me yeah Yeah, so in terms of use of jet gpt personally i don't often use the chat box um just in my classes but i know friends who very regularly use chat gpt um, to generate outlines for essays or even solve math or physics problems um, as a form of learning and then having the chat box spell exactly out the steps in solving that equation and so the use of chat gpt is very present on campus and i think students at uc berkeley especially are prone to using the chat box in order to complete assignments um, and or help out on the completion of assignments. And are you at all worried about losing the ability to think or are students thinking about that, about how, you know, this tool may, you know, dim down their ability to critically think about things? Yeah, I don't think the general student body is really worried about the loss of critical thinking. But as an education major, I think it's something that I have definitely thought about. And really, it comes down to exactly how you feel about the use of generative AI in a class and how that ties to your perception of what you are learning and why you are learning it. Um, You know, I think at universities like Brown, where you have an open curriculum and where students are consistently choosing the classes that they take and are very, very passionate about the course, you're going to see uh, less use of ChatGPT to create a final product, right? You're going to see that engagement in learning, that engagement in process um, of creating uh, an essay or creating or finishing a math assignment. When you take classes that you aren't passionate about or that are not engaging, you'll see more use of ChatGPT for the creation of final products to turn out something, to get a grade on it. Instead of engaging in that process of learning and actually trying to get something out of the process of finishing that assignment. So how are professors at UC Berkeley, how are you seeing them change the format of their classrooms or or how are they presenting or restricting the use of the tool? Yeah, so I've seen things as small as putting a ChatGPT policy within their syllabus that says no use or some use is okay to teachers and professors, completely changing the formats of their previous assignments um, and transitioning from um, like at-home writing essays that you turn in uh, to only in-class writing. And I think that ties to this kind of general fear that we see among higher education professionals that we don't see among K-12 professionals of fear of ChatGPT leaking into um, 
academic integrity, right? So that kind of fear of plagiarism and talking about like we've said before within this um, turnitin.com and analyzing that to see if students are using ChatGPT to finish assignments. And I think the question overall that this poses is that aspect of whether or not we're making our classrooms and our environments and our learning engaging enough for students to want to learn in these aspects and not use ChatGPT to create, again, a final product. Chessa, what about you? Are you changing the way that you're do you know making your assignments to you know kind of match this new world that we're in? Yes, definitely. Um, I have, as I said, I've incorporated it um, as an option to use, but I'd say. Um, I also model my own usage of it for the students and then we critique it. So um, I, not necessarily ChatGPT, but, you know, when I create my slides for my lectures, um, I, I use generative AI to help me, like, find images. And so I teach an Asian American literature class or Asian American Pacific Islander literature class. And um, uh, I created a slide of who we're going to be reading this quarter. And uh, I just typed in, like, give me images of authors. And, um, of course, it generated, like, a bunch of images of white men. And I said, okay, this is an AAPI literature class. These are not the people we're going to be reading, but let's talk about what were the limitations of using generative AI in this sense. And and because it is a prediction, um, not necessarily based in what we're actually reading, you know, we sort of critique, like, you know, it helped us get into this discussion of who does the Internet think an author is and how does that connect to, you know, teaching or reading Asian American Pacific Islander literature. And on top of that, like I I also have the students, you know, it was mentioned before, like one of the assignments is to critique output. But I also have changed my assignments to where rather than having students summarize what they've read, I I asked them to connect it to something that they've seen in the world that week. I said, okay, we learned about, you know, this topic. How did you see it at work in the world this week? Uh, Because for me, I think that the critical thinking can still happen as students are synthesizing and making connections. And that is, you know, the stuff that I would like to evaluate. That's the stuff that I want to assess is not just whether they've memorized the material, but are they actually able to apply it to their everyday lives? And, um, And it's actually been really fruitful because I do feel like I get a more human response from the students. Well, let's bring another caller into the conversation. Nathan in San Mateo, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. I'm a professor at um, in the Cal State system and at various community colleges. And it's my opinion that ChatGPT is here to stay, right? So we need to embrace it as a tool. And I really resonate what your guest just mentioned. I use ChatGPT in the classroom Frequently, I will. I teach sciences, so I will put in a, a fairly high-level prompt about some scientific topic, and I'll ask the students to analyze where ChatGPT got the concept wrong, for instance. Um, another way that I'll utilize ChatGPT is to, um, or I guess mitigate against the use of ChatGPT, is to um, ask questions relating to specific um, in-depth discussions in the classroom. So... It's, you know, it's a bit of a pain because you have to re, um, rework some of your assignment. Um, but I think embracing it and using it in the classroom um, is, is a way to engage that critical thinking piece that we're all striving for as educators. It's really forcing professors to kind of step up their game. Thank you, Nathan. Let's bring another caller in, Annette in Gardner. You're on the air. 
Thank you for taking my call. Yes, I just recently retired as a, from a professor, my professor position at UC and just missed all this. And so, but I just wanted to bring back the, the larger context in which all this is taking place and how this discussion could really help with that, which is this trying to figure out uh, the balance between um, chat GPT and AI being assistive versus being us being over-reliant and having diminished capacities around critical thinking. And I just wanted to put out there that what I'm hearing is this AI literacy piece really come into focus where, because my, my case is outside in a research setting with adults, not students. I mean, I know we're all adults, but adults who um, in, in, took ChatGPT, had it summarize a research uh, a question and its answer, and, and coughed up this summary. And I just happened to look at it, and I said, but we didn't even ask that question. You know, so, you know, that you are prone to error if you rely too heavily. And the, the university setting is the perfect place to say, here are the guidelines for how to interpret data and use ChatGPT in an assistive way where you're not going to have an error-prone document because this stuff will go far and wide in the non-peer review literature, and you know we have to be knowledgeable about to how to rein this stuff in. So thank you for having this because this is this this whole idea of AI literacy is badly needed by the whole rest of the world. Thank you so much, Annette. We're we're getting a lot of comments about the what this what ChatGPT is making, which is an opportunity for how we change our assessment of students. Comments like this: Electric Z on Discord writes, "Personally, I think we should grade students on their actual critical thinking ability, something more like a situational interview than an exam or an essay." Ironically, AI should actually enable this form of, of assessment at scale. Uh, Janae, what, what do you think about that, changing the way that we are assessing students? I think that's a great idea. Um, and what was described on Discord is a great example of what Beth also referred to as an authentic assessment, right? What are examples of how knowledge and courses can be used and applied in different contexts and situations? That can still happen with writing. Um, but I think it's worth getting a little bit creative about what genres of writing may be most useful for students to output or engage in. Um, what are texts or examples of sources or information that students may need to work with closely in order to think critically about a conversation or a question? Uh, ChatGPT historically does not do that well with direct citations or references to really specific instances. Um, a colleague and I did a workshop at our law school um, about a month ago, and something that stands out to me is one professor who was playing around ChatGPT said that the output of the response was a good solid response about the content in her course, but it didn't sound like a student in her course because the response from ChatGPT never really critically engaged with the material they were working with in a meaningful way. Um, there's a great book too that my colleague James Lang recommended to me called Next Generation Genres, Teaching Writing for Civic and Academic Engagement by Jessica Singer Early. And so if you're teaching writing or the humanities, there's so many great examples of having students create really authentic pieces of work, um, creating proposals, artist statements, infographics. You know, just trying to think a little outside the box about how do you want students to represent knowledge and what forms of knowledge representation may be reflective of particular disciplinary or professional practices that will feel really authentic and meaningful. Let's bring another caller in, uh, Kenny in Los Angeles. You're on the air. Kenny? 
Hey, good morning. Fascinating show. Really interesting. Uh, yeah, I teach down here and uh, listening on my phone. So I, uh, I used to live up there. So I love the space. I, uh, I'm, I'm all about the most authentic assessment in my classes. Uh, this past summer, taught a class, and um, I was really concerned about um, AI taking, you know, being one of my students or being the students. And mm-hmm. so uh, what I tend to do, since I have a, a communications background and I teach communications, is that I asked them, they had to write a weekly three-page uh, paper on the weekly chapter or two that they had to do. And uh, But then I would ask for that to be done the night before we got into class. It was a weekly course from like 6.30 to 9.30. So Wednesday night, it had to be turned in. Thursday night, we're talking about it. And I, you know, uh, Q&A discussion, uh, going around the room, getting people involved. A lot of people were getting involved in all the discussions, and I was able to see who did the work. It was tougher to see who didn't really put their most authentic self out there, but uh, it, it was it was a way with me to connect with them and to let them know, and I let them know in the beginning, hey, we're going to be talking about this stuff. And as another, uh, as a final, it was a small group communication class. So what I had them do was uh, create a, they had to to pitch something, you know, make a good thing better. So they had those weeks, the two months, the summer course, they had two months to put together, to work with groups. I assigned them. So there were groups of four and it was a dozen of them all together, groups of four. And then they, had to work the whole time with each other and pitch uh, their put their presentation in front of everybody at the end uh, using slides and so forth. They could have used AI uh, all day long and twice on Sundays, but when they stood up there, they had to put the information out, take questions from the class, and 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 I and, and lastly, uh, that's that's what I always repeated was you know what. We have lots of tools to use here. I mean, I remember back in the days, I'm a dinosaur when you weren't, weren't allowed to use a calculator, things like right, that. Right, right. I mean, that's uh, the you, I, th- I think that's that's the one of the things I, I read Beth several times in, in your articles is sort of the the comparison that this is like the calculator was such a terrifying device that came forward, you know, many years ago. That what's what's going to happen in math classes if we have a calculator or even a graphing calculator? So. Is this a moment of panic or is the panic, do you think, necessary or is it the same as a calculator or are we just way out of our league and it's nothing similar to the technology that's been introduced in the past? What do you think, Beth? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a clumsy but useful um, comparison. Compa- ca- calculators are trustworthy, right? Like you can put in... Uh, you can put in a, a, a something and get a, get an output that you know is true. And we've talked about how ChatGPT is not. But I do know, I mean, I've talked to plenty of professors who worry about students' numerical literacy on the decline, right? Because they they use calculators or, you know, websites or whatever to do the math for them. So I do think there's an analogy there. But to the your broader question, I yeah, I think this is a moment in higher education when we we just have to accept that we are already outsourcing so much stuff to technology. We all carry around a computer in our pocket. We we outsource our, you know, memory to to Outlook calendars, and we don't feel like we have to memorize names and dates and phone numbers because we know we can look them up. So what does that mean for, again, authentic learning and authentic assessment? What is that it that we want students to know or to have mastered by the time they graduate college? You know, these critical thinking skills and some of the things that we've talked about today about actually working with ChatGPT and other gender divide to look at that and ask yourself, what do I think about this? And that achieves 
two goals. It achieves, you are critiquing the AI, you are seeing what it's good at it and what it's not. And then you are thinking about your own thinking and how would I do this differently? How would I do this instead? So I, I mean, we started these conversations actually during COVID when everybody had to move online and totally redo their teaching and strip it down and think about what do I need students to know and how can I do it at a distance? And we're doing it again, except this time with a really big uh, new tech component that is very scary to some people. And I heard a lot of conversation about fear-based decision-making by professors. I'm going to ban this. I don't know what it is. And then once you start to study it and you see what it is, then I think you can kind of open the door a little bit to very careful use and consideration and discussion in your class. Let's sneak in one quick call. Jim in Concord, you're on the air. Jim? Hi, um, I'm an attorney. I went to school uh, a long time ago. And I can see that this is a useful tool, but be careful what you ask for. Um, remember that AI, the first word is artificial. So that's my concern. I consider it a real danger, but a real incredible tool, just like the automobile. Very helpful for lots of people. We got to we got to make that balance. I mean, Jen writes, and I, and I kind of love this. Jen writes, I'd say if you can't beat them, join them. Here's what I mean: design the assignment in three parts. Have your students write whatever paper you want in their own style. They are also required to write it using ChatGPT. They then have to compare and critique one against the other to see where the AI did a better job, as well as where it messed up. Seems like finding that middle line is going to be key in this. Uh, Final words uh, from Chessa here in in terms of what have you learned this hour that you might take forward or that you want to say, uh, you know, to to our audience about this tool? Yeah, a couple things. One is to anybody who is interested in writing or being creative in general, these generative AI, they are predictors. So if you want what you create to be predictable, then, you know, it's understandable if you want to use them. But I feel like creativity is more important than generativity. And the last thing I want to say is just a request for compassion for teachers. And Beth mentioned this, like, a lot of us are burnt out because of all the adjustments we had to make during COVID, during the pandemic. And then, of course, there are studies about learning gaps and, you know, all the lost learning that happened. And so I know that a lot of that blame is going to fall on teachers. And I feel like um, we really need to have compassion for teachers. And as much as they need to up their game, we also have to have a lot of patience and grace because everybody is learning at their own speed. Um, so I think that is my that, that would be my final request. I have a lot of compassion for what you are balancing. So thank you all so much for joining us this hour. We've been talking about chatbots and how it's influencing, how they're influencing higher education. We've been joined by Beth McMurdy, senior writer, The Chronicle of Higher Education, Chessa Caparras, professor of English at De Anza College, Janae Cohen, executive director of the UC Berkeley Center for Teaching and Learning. And earlier, we were joined by two students, Jennifer Tran and Andrew Yu. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for the next hour of Forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.